I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k flats. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. Summaries will break out into those. Quiet, please. Ladies and gentlemen, you ready for the big show? An executive 15 seconds will be on the air. This is the Lars Larson Show. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. Honestly provocative talk with Lars Larson. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. Broadcasting across the Pacific Northwest and covering Oregon, Washington, and Idaho on the Radio Northwest Network. Live now. Then we're going to kick the Biden crime family out of the White House. Here's your host. I almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette, and my cat. Lars Larson. You're listening to the best of the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. And if you want to join the best conversation in talk journalism, it's easy. 866-HEY-LARS. I want to tell you about an incident that happened this week. And it involved a child. It could have easily ended with the death of the child or serious injury to the child. But here's what happened in basic form. Mom and dad are getting ready to go off to work, loading the kids up. Uh, one child is put in the car. Dad comes back inside. A carjacker comes along. His car is running to warm it up and get the inside of it warm. There's a child in it, and the carjacker takes off in the car, takes off at some speed, and races away. The father, of course, is beside himself, you know, out of worry for his child. And uh, thankfully, at the end of it all, the carjacker decided to just dump the kid off, no shoes, by the side of the road, a very young child who could have easily wandered out into traffic, could have easily been hurt or killed. That didn't happen. Thank God. You put a child in an operating car, a running car, with the doors unlocked and the engine running and the keys in the ignition, and somebody carjacked it with your child inside. Should we feel sorry for you as a parent? Remember, the child was successfully and safely recovered. Or should we be angry not just at the carjacker for committing the crime, because he is the guilty party, but should we be mad at mom and dad as well? You put a child in a car that was running and then left it available to be stolen in that case. And then I got this note from Andrew, and he was apparently thinking along the same lines. Andrew Franson. He said, Lars, how is it that someone can do something as irresponsible as leaving a child unattended in a running automobile, resulting in the child being kidnapped by the car thief and not get arrested? But instead of being arrested for criminal negligence or child endangerment or something like that, he's on every TV and radio station in town gloating about what a her heroic experience it was. I'm absolutely disgusted. You know what, Andrew? Great minds think alike. I share your disgust. That seems crazy to me. Now, if you check... In, in many states, and Oregon is one of them, it is illegal 
for you to leave your car running and unattended. Now, the purpose of that law wasn't necessarily to stop carjackings or the kidnapping of children. It was to cut down on the number of stolen cars because in the Pacific Northwest, when it gets cold, people oftentimes go out, start their car, leave it running in the driveway. And unless they have anti-theft features built into it, there are some of those with uh, remote start cars where you can't drive the car off unless you have the key in your hands or, or in your pocket. But um, they, they pass a law. It is a crime. It is illegal to leave an unattended vehicle running on a public road or a public highway. And I would assume that even if it's sitting in your driveway, it's adjacent to a public road. And uh, they did it for public safety. But it does seem strange to me that the sympathy goes to the father who created the situation that put his child at risk. Now, I know some people aren't going to like me saying that, but tell me I'm wrong. Tell me that that father... By putting a child, a very young child, not a child old enough to drive, not a 16-year-old, a small child, put a small child in an operating car, start the engine, leave it running, go back in the house. I know we've all run back in the house for something. But when you do that and you create that circumstance, yes, the car thief is guilty, but you've helped create the opportunity, and that's what the car thieves are looking for. Anyway, if you want to join the First Amendment Friday conversation, it's right here on the Radio Northwest Network at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And let's go to Bruce in Bellingham, uh, listening on the great KGMI. Hey, Bruce, welcome to the program. What's on your mind? Hi, Lars. Yeah, this... uh Steve Smith, the economist for the for Washington State, who's suing for uh, employment discrimination. Yep. Yeah, you Scott know, Smith. I read an article Scott Smith about that. Doing, yeah, his name is Scott Smith, just so you know. Oh, Scott Smith. I'm sorry. Yep. No worries. Yeah. Anyway, he he's uh, suing for seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars for damages, and I I think he has a good case, and he should get it. But the irony is that the taxpayers are going to end up paying this this settlement amount. Yes, they are, and and why shouldn't they, Bruce? Yeah, I well, mean, hold on, Bruce. I mean, Bruce, what? The, these managers are a bunch of crooks. Yeah, well, and and here's one of the things I've always wished, Bruce, if I could change the laws. I see state agencies and local agencies sue and fine each other all the time. And you think, for instance, Department of Ecology sues King County because King County's sewage treatment plant uh, broke down from mismanagement a few years ago. And you think, so when one public agency sues another one or fines another one, who actually, whose money are they dealing with? Our money. How about the people who actually did the bad thing and created the situation? Yeah, they, they don't suffer at all. The, the people who made the bad decisions. And, and that one makes no sense to me. You know what I wish we could do is say any time a lawsuit is brought against an agency, the officials named as being responsible for what happened, um, they should pay a portion of the damages out of their own paychecks and not from public funds. Now, if you did it that way, you might get some employees who would be a little bit more careful than they are. Let's go to uh, Larry. Well, I called in only in case this guy that left his car, his kid in the car, is listening. Uh, dude, you did a bad thing, but man, don't don't beat yourself up. I mean, we all make mistakes. I'm sure that you'll never ever do that again. Uh, I, you know, I found myself when I was raising kids. I'm trying to think back that, 
you know, I ran in and got my coffee mug or something. I don't know the details. Maybe she had out there for five minutes. Maybe it was just a 30-second. I don't know. But doesn't take long uh, for a carjacker. I mean, well, here's, here's what I'm asking, though, Larry. When you say you make a mistake, I've uh, throughout my life probably once or twice I've turned the wrong way down a run one-way street. That's a mistake. When you say, I'm going to put my kid in the car, and then I'm going to start the car, and I'm going to leave the, kid, the keys in the car, and you go back into your house for whatever reason, that's a decision. That is not a mistake. He didn't mistakenly start the car. He intended to start the car. He left a running car with a child in it and the keys you in can, the car. Can, that's not a mistake. Can, that is a conscious decision. Oh, that's true. And I remember I leave my doors wide open, not open, but unlocked and go to bed and not ever worry about it. I mean, it, I mean, we can dig down and, and, and put some blame, you know, just on what's going on with no law enforcement whatsoever. And people are much more emboldened anymore. I mean, we can we can really get down to the nuts and bolts of why it happened obviously the the hut that father did made the wrong decision i'm sure he'll never ever do that again he's probably sick about it i assume depending on he's a conscientious father um and so anyway there, there's probably a lot of blame to go around uh, all the way up to the legislature yeah except that larry do you have you seen a single news story that asks the father why'd you do such a stupid thing and put your kid at risk no i didn't see that no, I haven't seen it either, and I don't think you're likely to. All the news media is glad the kid got recovered, so am I, and they're glad to talk to the father and talk to him about how scared he was and all that. But do they question, why would you ever do such a thing? Nope, not at all. But we will hear. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show on the Radio Northwest Network. You're listening to the best of The Lars Larson Show. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. Jew.org. Something Lars would say to the woke left. I hope that after today's city council meeting, you will pack your suitcase and get the hell out of my city. Well said. Thank you. This is the Lars Larson Show. Yeah. 
listening to the best of the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. I want to tell you about a major development involving the last major city in all of the United States of America to finally say we will let our police officers wear body cameras. Now, I think body cameras are great. I think they do have some problems that go to privacy, that go to public disclosure. Uh, but one of the problems that I think was largely invented by the city of Portland, which refused for the longest time to go along with police officers who said, if you want us to wear body cams, fine, but we want to be able to take a look at that video when we sit down to write our reports. So the city itself is the reason this was held up, not the police. Well, they have finally agreed to a weird compromise. And because it's weird and because it involves police work, I thought I'd call my friend, retired police captain and former homicide detective, C.W. Jensen. Uh, C.W., welcome back to the program. Hey, Lars. How are you? Well, I'm fine, except this weird compromise the city of Portland has finally arrived at doesn't deal with many of the other problems of body cams that I think are going to happen, and they'll probably have to sort those out. But they've agreed with officers, yes, you can look at the video that was recorded by a body cam when you write your reports about routine stuff. But if you're in a deadly force incident, we're not going to let you see the video until you've already given an audio recorded statement to investigators. There's always an investigation of a deadly force incident, whether somebody dies or not. If deadly force is used, they have investigators take a look at it. Probably it's, it is a good idea. Not probably it is. But they're going to tell the officer, you can't see the video till you've given a statement. Then you give the statement, and as I understand it, this is the way it's described, the Daily Dead Fish Wrapper got a copy of the agreement that the mayor of Portland refused to release publicly. They said, then after they've given the statement, both parties, the investigators and the officer and his lawyer, will go off to separate rooms. This is how weird it is. And they'll each get to watch the video. Then they'll all come back to the same room to resolve any differences between what was stated in the interview of the officer and what they saw on the video. Does this sound like it's going to work? Well, you know, the funny thing is, is that if the government will always make a simple thing more complicated. And unlike everybody involved in these negotiations, I was in a shooting. I was a detective, and I investigated probably a dozen officer-involved shootings. I was an internal affairs investigator. I was an internal affairs commander. I mean, they're making this into too big of a deal. If you're in a shooting, and I'll just talk about my shooting. I was in a shooting. There were two other officers involved, and there was a hostage that, thank God, he lived. So there's four witnesses right there, and then there were people calling in. There was no video back then. But by the time I got down to detectives to give a formal statement, I'd already talked to probably a dozen people, supervisors, whatever, because when you're in a deadly force incident, you're jacked up, and you want to people come up and go, are you okay? Yes. What happened? Blah, 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 blah. So people think there's some mysterious thing about this. It's not. By the time you get down to detectives, and like I say, I've been on both sides of the table, um, everybody knows what happened. And so do I think that it would be helpful to have the officer come in and you go, hey, here's what I hear about what happened, 
and and they go, yeah, and here's what I remember. Then would it be helpful to go sit down and say, okay, here's the video. Is there anything you can remember? Because there were two other cops with me uh, when I shot, and none of us remember things exactly the same. Because when you're in a shooting, you have time distortion, hearing distortion, I mean, just tunnel vision. So you can't remember everything. And and so I think the video would be helpful, and it would be good to have a guy come in and go, well, here's what I remember, and then sit down and do the video. Oh, yeah, I didn't recall that, but I remember that now. So there's good things and bad things, but like everything, the government just tries to make it way more complicated than it needs to be. Let me ask you about one specific thing. They say he has to, the officer has to make an audio recorded statement within 48 hours. And I think I recall you telling me that there were things you were recalling days after the incident because it takes a while for your brain to kind of slow down and, and take a breath, right? Right. And I had one case when I was a homicide detective, and it was a man, a female and a male officer. The female officer didn't fire the male officer did, um, he was able to come in and give a really good statement. She was emotionally not able to do it. But by the next day, she, had, she could remember things. So you can't just say, well, within 24 hours or 12 hours or six hours, you've got to remember. I mean, it took her a full 36 hours to compose herself enough to give a statement. So are you going to punish her because the video shows something different? Well, that's what it's, it, CW, that's what it sounds like to me. Like they're assuming the cop's going to come in and give a statement. And whatever he says, we're going to look at the video and it'll turn out he's a liar. And I suspect that the people who pushed for this want to be able to prove cops are liars. And then they say, after all of this, if there was a discrepancy between the video and what the officer says in the statement, none of that will be used to punish the officer. Well, maybe it should be in some cases. And in other cases, maybe it shouldn't be. Maybe the differences are not all that significant, as you suggested. But they're literally saying we want to get the discrepancies, but then you're not allowed to use them for anything. But I'll bet the defense attorneys will go after them. Yeah, and, and you know... People think that these officer-involved shootings are mysterious or something. Literally, 99 out of 100, it's like, well, we got the call on a man with a gun, and then he shot at us, and we shot back. I mean, I don't care how much video you have. The, the bottom line is the bottom line. And they're trying to make these things into, oh, we've got to do this because it's, you know, it's mysterious, and the police lie. No, it's really simple. You get a call, you go there, bad things happen, you do what you got to do. The video is 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 will complement everything, but it's not necessary for the last hundred years. Somehow we've figured it out how to do this without video. Now we've got video. Great, use it. But it's not the end-all, be-all. 
No, I couldn't agree with you more. Hey, that C.W. Jensen, retired homicide detective and re retired police captain. C.W., thanks very much. I appreciate the time. Back in a moment, I'll get to your phone calls and emails. I'm not afraid of social media. Check us out on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and all the other social media. And tell Alexa to play The Lars Larson Show. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. You're listening to the best of The Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. Everybody won't be treated all the same. There'll be a golden letter reaching down when the man comes around. This is the Lars Larson Show. You're listening to the best of the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. Is it possible that we have some... Uh, very powerful people from the pot industry of the Northwest who have decided they would rather give their money to Democrat politicians than actually pay the taxes they owe. Now, the last place that some of you would expect that story to come from, but I know them by reputation, the folks at Willamette Week, including Aaron Mesh, the news editor, they do stories that gore the ox of people on both sides of the political aisle, and I think that's something people should take note of. Aaron, welcome back. Good to be here. Good. Uh, tell me about this power couple, as you've described them, the pot power couple, uh, Ms. Cazares and her partner, Mr. Mitchell, who apparently are make or were making some big bucks in the pot business legally. Yeah, so Aaron Mitchell and Rosa Cazares are uh, from Florida most recently. They moved to Oregon in 2009. Uh, they founded a chain of cannabis dispensaries called La Mota. Uh, that's Spanish for the weed. Uh, and La Mota now has, I believe, 32 dispensaries across Oregon. It's the second largest uh, cannabis dispensary chain in the state. Uh, sales are estimated at about $40 million a year. Now, recently, uh, Rosa Cazares, uh, in particular, although Aaron Mitchell to some degree as well, has gotten interested in politics. Specifically, she's gotten interested in uh, Democratic Party candidates and women candidates. She is the uh, vice chair of Emerge Oregon, which is a nonprofit that uh, helps uh, train women candidates. It's kind of an incubator. Uh, and she has hosted a number of, uh, of fundraisers. She's a, Lamoda is a named sponsor on a lot of Democratic Party fundraisers, especially during the 2022 election cycle. Uh, and Rosa has hosted uh, a number of fundraisers at a Northwest Hills mansion. Really nice place. It's got a, uh, a huge patio that overlooks the city uh, with a glass wall. It's, it's, a, it's an impressive spot uh, on, a, like on a point overlooking Portland. Cazares um, did not own that house. It was actually a rental uh, and has since uh, been sued by the owner of that home attempting to evict her and get, uh, and get back rent. That in some ways, is the microcosm of a larger problem that faces Aaron Mitchell and Rosa Cazares, which is uh, an alleged failure to pay taxes and bills. 
Well, because, and I like the fact that you included that, because it's not just a rental, but it's a Vacaza rental. I mean, the way people sh- rent for short times go on vacation. So this isn't just oh, somebody, I would, there are lots I, of... I actually want to oh. say it's, it's better than that. Which oh, is, is it better rent, than that? Because oh, I was going to say... The uh, rental of a home owned by the founder and owner of Vacaza. Oh, so very nice home. But the point is that this isn't just, you know, a, you know, average families rent homes. But very few people say, we're going to go out and do a long-term rental of what is a vacation. It'd be like living in a hotel. You know, there are Hollywood celebrities who have lived in hotels. It's very expensive. And if you were going to rent a house for long periods of time but rent it as a vacation rental, doesn't sound very inexpensive, but it's a lot more impressive when as you point out, many of the people who've come to these things and been impressed by this couple, this power pot couple, uh, thought that this is your home, right? <laughs> no, it's just a rental. Like, and, 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 and that does say something. But here's the concern I've got, and I'm glad you put the juxtapositioning of these two things. So she has the time and she has the money to uh, donate and provide fundraising events at some expense to herself for Democrat candidates, but she doesn't have the money to pay her withholding taxes for employees, to pay her vendors, to pay the IRS or the Oregon Department of Revenue. Can you describe how bad that situation is? Sure. And, and here I'm going to have to be very careful because sure. all of these are allegations and uh, there's there's concern that LaModa and its founders are quite litigious. So you'll You've actually been I'm threatened by Amy Margolis, right? The, the word threatened isn't necessarily the word I would use, uh, but if you read the story, there was a, uh, a strongly worded letter that promised litigation should we publish this story. I call that a threat. Okay, it wa- walks like a duck, quacks like a duck. So, But when you say they're only allegations, the Oregon Department of Revenue has issued tax liens of $1.6 million against uh, Mitchell and Cazares and LaModa. A tax lien is not an allegation. A tax lien is where the state has actually put a formal hold on your right. property because you they say you owe money, right? So there are lien, there are liens against one point six million dollars from the state of Oregon against collectively Aaron Mitchell, Rosa Cazares, and the companies with the name Lamoda. There are also uh, federal tax liens of one point four million dollars against uh, mostly Mitchell but some Cazares. Uh, again, you are correct that the, the feds have essentially said we need to we, we expect payment of this money. It's a little unclear to to, to be accurate whether or not. The, the couple has paid any of that money since those liens went in place. Meanwhile, there's uh, something like, no, not something like, exactly 30 lawsuits that have been uh, filed in Oregon Circuit Court since 2017 against uh, Mitchell, Cazares, or LaModa, uh, and they allege a pattern of non-payment. Uh, essentially, uh, the allegation is of stiffing vendors, stiffing handymen, uh, not paying their own uh, lawyer and accountant. Uh, there's the there's a there's a quite a track record that you could look at in the in the story. So they're taking in uh, forty million, according to an industry expert, and they're apparently not paying all their bills, including and this was the best tax one, six hundred and twenty one thousand in pot taxes that their business owes. That would seem to be an easy one. If you're selling pot, you co- you collect the tax when you sell the t- the pot, just like sales taxes are collected in Washington State, and you pay the state. 
they're, they're trying to stiff the state for two-thirds of a million dollars in pot taxes, and they're in the pot business? It, it is a confusing business practice, if true, certainly. Uh, and as, as you have pointed out, it becomes even more confusing once you realize how much money, more than $200,000 in the past two election cycles, that they've spent on candidates for office. Why does this also, it certainly reminds me of Sam Bankman Freed. I mean, not just because we're on the Stanford campus this week and professors Bankman and Freed are professors at the law school here, but because Sam Bankman Freed, who was also in a kind of a sketch business that went upside down to the tune of billions, was also spending lots of money on politicians. And especially close here because Bankman Freed was looking at federal regulators he had to deal with at some point, and this couple has state regulators they have to worry about because marijuana is a state-regulated business, and if you give enough money to Democrat politicians, does that free you of the responsibility of actually having to do what the state's laws require you to do if you're in the pot business? Well, ironically, I would say that so far what we've found is that it really isn't all that necessary to spend money on politicians because the Oregon Liquor and Cannabis Commission is inherently unwilling to regulate any of the businesses, especially the large businesses that populate in this state. Well, you know, you got to admit, Aaron, they, they got their hands full figuring out which bottles of booze need to go to the sure. folks on the have, liquor they have, commission. They, they, they got to play. Uh, they got to play ninety-nine bottles of pappy on this. <laughs> yeah, if you drink enough pappy, you don't care what the weed heads are doing down the hall. You you got your you know you're you're down in the warehouse shopping for the bottles you need for this weekend. So, listen, I'm going to tell people read this story. It's a great story, Aaron. Thanks very much and congratulations. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. You bet. That's Aaron, Aaron Mesh, who is the news editor of Wine Week. you got to see this story. And think about the comparison. Sam Bankman frees in a sketchy business, pays a lot of money to Democrats. They ignore him. Uh, in the case of the pot business, this couple doesn't pay its federal taxes, doesn't pay its state taxes, allegedly, and doesn't pay its pot taxes either. Back I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. And now, a refresher on what diversity is. What in the hell's diversity? Well, I, I could be wrong, but I believe uh, diversity is an old, old wooden ship that was used during the Civil War era. This is the Lars Larson Show. 
You're listening to the best of the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. And welcome back to the Radio Northwest Network. Glad to be with you and always glad to take your phone calls and your emails. This segment of the show brought to you by NickShivers.com for an instant offer to sell your home immediately. No showing, no hassles, and you pick the closing date. Go to NickShivers.com for details. Now. Let me get to calls. And if you want to join what we call, and I think we live up to this, the best conversation in talk journalism, it's right here at 866-HEY-LARS. And if you're a naysayer, you go right to the head of the line at 866-439-5277. Let's go first to Dana. Hey, Dana, welcome to the program. What's on your mind? Well, hi. First, let me tell you, I'm a 79-year-old Caucasian lady Republican. and. That, okay, so you, you're you're operating on white privilege if we listen to the politically correct people, but I don't have I don't believe in that. I think it's crazy. Well, I do too, but don't tell my daughter that. But the thing is, is with the black students, I've seen it. What your stats, your statistics and stats don't tell the whole story. They can't tell it. I've seen it. I've seen where they're they pick students at random to test for if they are uh, for marijuana. They don't pick the black, the white kids. They pick the black kids out of the group. When well, hold hold on. You mean mandatory testing for pot? Yes, that's in Texas. Yeah, because I, I was going to say the fact that you're in school does not give the school the right to test your kids for anything without the parents signing off, although these days yeah. with all that gender garbage. But here's the, the point yeah. I was making, Dana, and I hope you took it for what it's worth. Let me, go let ahead. Let me continue. For, okay, go ahead. I've seen, I've seen where they picked the black students for punishment. I've seen where they've thrown black students that are watching a basketball game out. I I saw what was going on. I could not believe it. So I went up and I said, you can't do that. And this black father says, let, let it go, Dana. Let it go. It, it happens all the time. How but long so, ago was that, Dana? Uh, that was about five, six years ago. Okay, but in Texas. Now, the thing I want to ask you is this. I said, but if I the... If, if the rules are being applied in a colorblind fashion, that is, when a kid does something wrong, you you haul them in, talk to the your principal, talk to the teacher, and you decide on discipline. You do it in a colorblind way. If they, if there are actually people singling kids out because of their skin color, that's wrong already. But do you say then we need to have less discipline altogether? Because, or do you think we need to have just simply colorblind imposition of the rules? Well, yeah, I think we should. I think we should enforce discipline more I for agree. everybody, and we should have color. And we should be colorblind. I believe in being colorblind. Well, I, I got to tell you, Dana, when this came up with the Portland schools, and this is why I'm concerned about it happening in Seattle now. What I, I went to the, some of the school administrators at the time. They won't talk to me anymore. But I said to them. I said, are you are you singling out kids because of their race? And they said, no, we're not. We're just punishing behavior. And and we find that there's more bad behavior among black students, Hispanic students, less bad behavior among white students, even less bad behavior among Asian students than even white students or Hispanic students. Um, and I said, okay, then what's the problem? And they said, well, the numbers look bad. Because let's say you have five, let's say you have ten percent black students in the schools, and but you say but twenty percent of the kids who get either suspended or expelled are black, and you say well okay again what's the problem if you're imposing the rule and enforcing it in a colorblind fashion? I would bet, Dana. Let me try this on you. 
if if they had this number, and usually the schools will not give me this number, if you had to guess, though, among those students who get suspended or expelled, do you think they're more boys or more girls? More boys. Okay, but is that because it's biased against boys, or is that because boys engage in more bad behavior? I think it's because it's biased against boys, because I've worked in the schools. I've seen the girls are... You don't think the boys misbehave more often than the girls? Oh, the girls are underhanded. They get away with it. Well, but hold on, Dana. If if a girl, in other words, if you if you have a boy who gets in a fist fight, and the, the school says you can't have physical fights, you can't get in a fist fight in the school. Well, right. That's a rule. But if right. the girl makes right. snippy comments or or calls, you know, one of her fellow students the b word, is that on the same level as coming up and punching somebody in the nose? I don't think it is. Oh, no, but bullying with the inter with the cell phones is. It is? So a punch in the nose is the same as somebody making fun of you on the Internet? You're really going to say that, Dan? I've seen it. I've seen no, it. No, I'm not I've asking seen... if you've seen it. I'm saying that I've if I, it. I mean, yeah. I make fun of people on the radio. Should that be viewed yeah. as the same as, as <laughs> if I make fun of, of Ted Wheeler or Bruce Harrell, the mayor of Seattle, should Bruce Harrell be, say, be able to say, well, Lars made fun of me on the air because of some stupid thing that I did as mayor of Seattle, and that's the same as if Lars walked up and punched me in the nose? Of course not. But with the teenagers, what they do is they they send cell phone messages out about one person, and it will ruin this one girl's reputation completely. It, Only if you believe it. Well, teenagers believe anything. That and without the Internet, do you think there were times where in school, because I know this, I saw this happen, oh. do you think people went around saying, well, that Dana, boy, she's got round heels, she's a, she's a sleazy girl. So if somebody said it or said it on the Internet, what's the difference? The difference is the number of people that it can get to. I'll tell you what, rumors went around my high school very quickly. Maybe not at the speed of light, but very quickly. Danny, you're a good caller. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. You're listening to the best of The Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. Quiet, please. Ladies and gentlemen, you ready for the big show? In exactly 15 seconds, we'll be on the air. This is the Lars Larson Show. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. Honestly provocative talk with Lars Larson. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. Broadcasting across the Pacific Northwest and covering Oregon, Washington, and Idaho on the Radio Northwest Network. Live. And now. Then we're going to kick the Bible.
Biden crime family out of the White House. Here's your host. Almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette, and my cat. Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. And I want you to think about this question. I'll get to your calls in just a moment. Would you send your children to schools that feature classes segregated by race? Now, I would not. Uh, I don't want my grandchild to go to a class like that, but it's happening, and it's happening in a major American city. I'll tell you the details on that in just a moment. First, welcome to the program, and welcome to Conspiracy Theory Thursday. Glad to have you on board, and if you want to join the best conversation in talk journalism, it's 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com, and if you're a naysayer, we'll put you first. Our Twitter poll today, does America need to scale back on the number of legal immigrants that it accepts. Now, there are some suggestions being made. 50 million people living in the U.S. were born in another country, according to a brand new report, the Center for Immigration Studies, and we talk to them all the time, found 49.5 million people, about 15% of our total population, originally born in another country. Now, the question is, have they assimilated? I would say the evidence around us suggests they have not. And an estimated four and a half million people have crossed the border since Joe Biden's inauguration day. That is a larger number of people than the population of 25 U.S. states. And the Census Bureau had originally estimated the foreign-born population would not hit 15 percent until 2033. And imagine the kind of a cultural and other problems that it creates when you have a big country that has always been a melting pot. It's not much of a melting pot anymore. Should America scale back on the number of legal immigrants it accepts? And I often get people saying, well, we've always done this. Well, until the 1960s, until Ted Kennedy in the U.S. Senate, uh, you know, I, I didn't think much of Senator Kennedy, but until he pushed through so-called immigration reform that began to bring in more and more legal immigrants to the United States, which is a positive, but too much of anything is not a good thing. So you say, what's the right number? Well, during the 80s, during President Reagan, we had about 300,000 legal immigrants to the United States every year. Uh, during the Clinton era in the 90s, it was about 600,000. It hit around a million uh, during the first part of George Bush and into Barack Obama. So which number is the right number to accept as legal immigrants, especially when we're being overrun by Joe Biden's illegal alien invasion of millions? The total number of border crossers since Joe Biden began, 9 million, and the official count, about half of that. So, should we scale back on the number of legal immigrants that America accepts? We've been incredibly generous. I would say yes. Scale the number back. Don't take it to zero. But it's got to be somewhere between the 300,000 of the 80s, the 600,000 of the 90s, and the 1 million plus every year since then. Glad to have you with me. 866-HEY-LARS. I've also been talking about e-vehicles. There have been some big developments over the last, uh, literally just the last few days. Number one. A letter written by and signed by the owners of 3,000 car dealerships nationwide begging the Biden administration to give up its battery buggies because they're not selling and Americans don't want them. That's problem number one. Problem number two, Ford Motor Company that lost $2 billion last year. Ford Motor Company just this week had 400 dealers 
who said, we want no part of your e-vehicle program. It is demanding that car dealers put hundreds of millions of dollars into buying e-vehicles that are not selling well right now. So I'm getting a fair amount of attention for that. If you want to jump into the conversation, it's 866-HEY-LARS. Let's go first to Josh. Hey, Josh, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. Hey, Lars, thank you. Love the show. Thank you. Uh, I work for a Ford dealership, and uh, Ford is requiring us, obviously, to sell those EV vehicles. The deal is that as a dealership, you have to put in X amount of dollars, uh, yep. infrastructure as far as uh, building, you know, the chargers, uh, inventory, and what have you. Um, each dealership is required to do that to become a specified EV dealer. If you yep. don't do that, then you're penalized, whatever. Um, yep. It's costing the dealership a crazy amount of money, and especially it affects the small dealerships that don't have that margin there. Um, but the EVs that we have on the lot have been on the lot for months, um, and we pay a fee for that per vehicle. Yeah, somebody has to pay the flooring cost, right? The cost of the money that's right. locked up in that car, right? Right, and, and those cars sit there. I mean, we've got Ford Lightnings on the lot that uh, they've been sitting there for a month, a month and a half, two months. Um, just no one comes to test drive. Well, Josh, what I'd seen on, I think it was Jalopnik, which is a site that follows automobile you know, stuff in the auto industry. They said 400 of the dealers have said, we're, we're not going to make that massive investment in infrastructure to be able to put e-vehicles on our lot. We're just not going to do it. We can't afford it. It doesn't make sense. It seems like a bad bet. And they're really asking you to bet that if you build all this infrastructure and buy all this inventory and put it on the lot, that somehow Americans are going to buy it. And your practical experience at the dealership level is saying it ain't happening, right? No, it's, it's not. It's a tough time even selling new cars as it is. And then the EV market, it's just, it's not, it's just not there. Yeah, and I, I, think, I think the White House is going to come, its push is going to come to shove. Because think about the factors that are lining up against it. And I know people want to blame me for this argument, but just look at the facts on the ground. Ford lost $2 billion last year, almost all of it on the e-vehicle side. They made money on the gasoline and diesel side. That's item one. Item two, when they're losing $36,000 every time they sell one of the e-vehicles because it costs more to make it. Imagine a restaurant where they offered a $10 steak that cost the restaurant $20 to make. And you say, well, how long can we do that? And then you go back to old jokes about Ole and, and Sven. You know, we'll make it up in volume. We'll sell twice as many steaks at a loss. No, it doesn't make sense. Let's go to a Trey. Hey, Trey, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. What's on your mind? Hey, thanks for taking my call, Lars. Listen to you every day. Thank Love you. Love the show. Um, Thank you. Just heard the caller about the, the EV cars a little bit ago arguing. Um, and it, it blows my mind, like, the amount of people that can't look at the facts. And like, well, see, he wanted to personalize and say, this is just you, Lars. You just don't like him. Look, one of these days, Trey, the technology and everything else may get there because I don't dislike technology. But there are technologies that work and there are technologies that don't. Uh, you know, <laughs> and, and when well, they don't absolutely. work, why am I why do I want my government to tell me as a citizen, you are forbidden to buy the car you want. You must buy the car you don't want because we think we're saving the planet by doing it. 
I would think Americans would resent that deeply. It's one thing to say, I really want to go down and buy a car with a Hemi engine in it. Great. I've had one of those. They're fun to drive. But do you want to make people, you know, like they did with light bulbs? They said you are no longer allowed to buy an incandescent light bulb. You must buy the much more expensive alternative, which does have some positive attributes to it. But I wanted to sell on its positive attributes, not based on some government bureaucrat or some idiot president saying, we're just going to make everybody buy them. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. You're listening to the best of The Lars Larson Show. me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges, but how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. A reminder, you are in control. Our Constitution is a document in which we, the people, tell the government what it is allowed to do. This is the Lars Larson Show. You're listening to the best of the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the program. Pleasure to be with you. And if you want to join the best conversation in talk journalism, it's easy. 866-HEY-LARS. And naysayers go to the head of the line at 866-439-5277. You can vote in our Twitter poll at Lars Larson Show. Or you can go to my website. The vote counts the same at LarsLarson.com. Despite 10 Republican-led states embracing universal school choice, the southern parts of the United States lag behind. It is there a connection between the teachers' unions and Southern lawmakers hindering school choice initiatives? I thought we'd talk about that with John Tillman, who's CEO of the American Culture Project. John, welcome to the program. And in, in the interest of full disclosure, I'll tell you that while I went to public schools, government-run public schools, I'm completely in favor of school choice, and I think it would be good for everybody, for the taxpayers, for the parents, for the students, and even for the teachers, because everything would improve if we had true school choice. Welcome back. Well, uh, Lars, great to be with you. And, uh, yeah, we have a problem in these uh, states I wrote about in the Wall Street Journal earlier uh, in the week, the or last week, rather. The, uh, the teachers' unions have been giving money to Republicans, of all people, in Texas, Georgia, Mississippi, and Alabama in order to block revolutionary school choice that could uh, really improve the lives of all children, but especially uh, minority children and poor children, uh, particularly in the larger cities. 
Well, I think when somebody offers you money, you ought to take it. But then you say, I'm going to take your money, but I'm not going to go along with your position. Is there something else that explains why Southern Republicans would say, sure, give me the money, I'll vote against school choice? I mean, wh why would they go that direction? I think one of the uh, one of the truisms of politics that I always talk about is that there's two kinds of politicians. There's the politician who becomes a politician because he has an agenda, a policy agenda he cares deeply about or she cares deeply about and wants to advance. Then there's a lot of politicians who adopt a policy agenda to fuel their political ambitions, and they're fairly untethered uh, from an ideological or principled point of view. And so what happens to these types of Republicans in these states and around the country, uh, the people that are out their door knocking the most, the people that are most often in the hallways of the state capitol are the unions, and particularly the teachers' unions, and they become friendly. They get to know them. They know them in their community because the teachers, of course, are members of the union, and they have a very uh, seductive way of becoming ingratiated with these state reps, and then they begin to give them money. And then they start to have an open mind in listening to the false claims of the teachers' unions. So one of their claims, for example, is that school choice will harm rural and suburban schools, which, of course, is not true. Rural and suburban schools, on average, start to get more money uh, in the public system, uh, and they also start to see more choices develop. What we have to be loyal to, Lars, is children, not public education systems, not the educational industrial complex, not the teachers' union. It's the kids, and choice for kids is what's best, no different than with their doctor or the kind of food they eat. Well, I agree with you, John, and one of the things I've always <laughs> challenged, I mean, on the rare occasions when I get a chance to talk to somebody who's against school choice, because the unions, for the most part, don't talk to me, uh, be but, but I'll ask them. I said, can you name me any part of life anywhere on the planet where competition does not produce two primary things, as a lot of other uh, you know, uh, good effects as well, but the two primary things are excellence and low cost. And, and there are very few examples where you can find where competition does not produce excellence and low cost. Why wouldn't we want that applied to education? And I think that, that it stymies most of them because if you say, does excellence produce a great NBA full of players who are the most capable? Yeah. Uh, okay. What if you took away uh, competition and you said, let's have NBA players kept on teams based on their seniority so the older you get the less likely you are to get cut and the young bright player who comes in and he's only been there a year or two uh if they have to let anybody go they have to let the kid go and you say would that make a better nba and they say well of course not and i said why would it make a better school system but that's exactly the way the school system works under unions last hired first fired the senior folks stick around whether they're doing a good job or not if it actually causes the public schools, the government schools, pain, good. Because pain in every other part of life. If you walk into a restaurant and all your friends say, it's the worst restaurant in town, don't go there. And the restaurant starts to lose business. If they don't change their game, then they go out of business. And they should. And I, I would apply the same logic to schools. If you don't produce a good product, uh, educated kids then then you should go out of business. But none of them really face that until recently. That's exactly right. And the thing that's particularly uh, uh, infuriating about this is who are who is most harmed by this? So let's talk about a type of choice. There's a type of choice in affluent communities or among affluent people. They can send their kids to the public school 
or they can send their kids to the private school. In Illinois, the, uh, the head of the Chicago Teachers Union, the head of the Chicago Teachers Union, who's called school choice evil and racist, sends her own child, her home high school student child, to a private school. And when confronted on this, her answer was, well, I need to have the best options for my child that the public school can't provide. And we all went, bingo, now you understand why you should be an advocate. But what happens is she makes a lot of money, so she can afford it. What about those same families of black and brown kids in the city of Chicago and white kids who are poor and can't afford to send their kid? They are saddled with a failing school. When you look at the country, it's places like Chicago, Detroit, Baltimore, Oakland, Los Angeles, Dallas. These are the places, large urban schools, often with significant minority populations, if not majority minority, those are the children that are being harmed by a lack of choice because those with money can opt out because they're willing to pay twice. That's why universal school choice is so powerful and why it's such a threat to the teachers union. And these 10 states that are leading are really going to set the bar higher. And eventually, I think these four states I wrote about in the Wall Street Journal, Mississippi, Alabama, Texas, and Georgia will come along. Well, I'm talking to John Tillman, who's CEO of the American Culture Project, and you can read the, read the piece he put for the Wall Street Journal. But there was a number I heard just today that really was stunning. So if you go back to 2019, four years ago, uh, actually closer to three years ago, um, that that 1% of American parents had school choice available to them, not because they're rich, but because it was offered in their area. Today, it's closer right. to 36%. So we've seen a 36% explosion of school choice in three or four years. I mean, that, that says... This is where Americans and the and the parents and the kids want to go, isn't it? Absolutely, and all the polling shows that. School choice is overwhelmingly popular with Republicans, with Democrats, with independents. It's popular with African-American voters and Hispanic voters. The only people that school choice is not popular with are the teachers' unions and the educational bureaucracy that runs government-run schools. And going back to your earlier point, remember, the government is a monopoly provider of services. The only way that you can, and the union, of course, the teachers' union is a monopoly provider of the labor for the educational <laughs> services in a government school. The problem with that is there's no accountability. When you go to up against the bureaucracy or up against that teacher, they, we look at the Loudoun County fights that went on during the Governor Youngkin, uh, uh, governor's race in 2021. They shut you down. They do not want to hear from you. As uh, uh, the, uh, uh, Terry McCall, the candidate for governor that year, oh said, you don't really want to hear we don't really want to hear from the parents. But, you know, in a private school, when you go in, you're a customer with a checkbook, and you're writing checks to that uh, school. The beauty of universal school choice, it gives that checkbook to a poor mother who has a, a, a promising child who could do better if they got in a better school. One of the things we learned... right. John, I, I'm up against the break. That's John Tillman from the American Culture Project. You're listening to the best of the Lars Larson Show. Lars Larson Show. Senator John Kennedy on the Washington establishment. The Washington establishment is working harder than an ugly stripper to cover up whatever happened. This is the Lars Larson Show.
You're listening to the best of the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. You might have wondered earlier this year whether Hunter Biden, the son of Joe Biden, the smartest guy Joe Biden says he's ever met in his life, was getting a pass. And why? Because he and his lawyers planned to walk into court. Hunter Biden was accused of tax crimes. Some of the tax crimes that actually eclipsed the statute of limitations. So he wasn't going to be charged on those at all. He was going to get no time in custody. And then he was going to be effectively forgiven for illegally buying a firearm while he was using hard drugs. And you say, well, I heard a lot of people say, gosh, nobody ever gets prosecuted for that. That is not true. And let me give you an example from just right now. Uh, the mother of the six-year-old boy, you might remember the story because we talked about it. Six-year-old boy takes a pistol to school, shoots his teacher in Virginia. Thank God she survived. But the mother was using pot while she owned a firearm, which is illegal under federal law. Deja Taylor, her son took her handgun to school and shot Abby Zwerner in her first grade classroom back in January, seriously wounding the teacher. Thank God, as I said, she's recovered. Investigators later found nearly an ounce of pot and that, uh, well, I'm not a pot user. I live in a state where it's legal, but that's a lot of pot in Taylor's bedroom and evidence of frequent drug use in her text messages and paraphernalia. She's 26 years old. She has a six-year-old boy. The boy took the gun to school, shot a teacher, and guess what? She got sentenced to 21 months in prison for using pot while owning a firearm. Meanwhile, Hunter Biden, who was using crack cocaine by his own account and owned not just the gun there's a record of him buying, but the gun that's depicted in a number of photos of Hunter Biden is not the same gun that he allegedly bought legally. So it may have been that he had two guns, one purchased legally and one purchased illegally. Does Hunter Biden get any kind of punishment? No. Not not in a country where a D in front of your name makes you almost immune from prosecution. As I pointed out, Joe Biden seems to be immune from prosecution because he's a Democrat. And on that note, let's go to Wisconsin and talk to Jerry. Hey, Jerry, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. What's on your mind? Yeah, um, those on the left who you call the woke left, and this is not everybody on the left with that opinion, who say that only a gay actor can play a gay character, they're wrong. I want the best performance, the person who can perform it best. That is what I look at. But, Lars, you're the equivalent of those on what you call the woke left because you don't want a transgender boy, a biological girl, to play a male character because even though this is not like sports where someone might have an athletic advantage naturally, what I want is the best performance. If that's the best performer, I want that person cast. But you have this... I against anything transgender. No, that I don't. Comes from if, yes, Jerry, do. Jerry, just so we're clear, if somebody in America who was born a biological male wants to wear women's clothing and call himself by a woman's name and wants to say, well, you've got to call me by a pronoun, he's allowed to do whatever he or she wants to do. What they're not allowed to do is tell me that I can't take that into account and act accordingly. In other words, if he wants to call himself she, she is perfectly able to call herself, if she insists on that, she. But you don't have any right to tell me, and I must call I you she as well. I don't know what this has to do with the case. I well, have no idea what this has to do with it. You brought all this up. I, I just... All. 
I'm telling you where I stand. I, I think that it individuals... It has nothing to do with the casting. So what? It's whatever you view, it has nothing to do with the casting of a person. It's up to the casting director to perform, put the best person in. You know, if you don't want to watch the performance, so watch the performance. You no, know, you except can whatever for this. you want to do. Do you know where I do have something to say about it, Jerry? In, in, the case, in the case of a high school play, I don't live in Texas, but I pay taxes that support public schools. When the public schools start pushing this nonsense because it's oh, part God, of the LGBTQ anything. agenda, let me finish. I let you, hey, Jerry, I let you finish. Yeah. What I'm saying okay. is that what you're trying to do is push a political-slash-sexual agenda using public resources. I don't think the school has any business doing that. Do you? No, they're not pushing an agenda. They're per they're casting the person who's best at their role. You're just so biased and anti-transgender that you want to ban even the best person from the role because you are so scared of what that person might be like. Let me You're ask so you something then, Jerry. Let's test your resolve. Let's, t let's test your resolve. Are you willing to let me do that? Okay. Let's say that you are casting the play To Kill a Mockingbird. Now, there are characters for a reason in that play who are black and some who are white. What if you find the best actor who has the best portrayal wearing the right makeup to, to play the black character in that story, the, 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 uh, the lead character in that, in that play, and you say, but this white actor really does a better job of bringing across the emotion and everything else. All he has to do is wear the right kind of makeup. Now, every actor and actress wears makeup, Whereas we don't call them costumes, but they are dressed for the character they're playing. Would you be okay with a white actor portraying a black actor in a movie, a, bl a black character in a movie? I, I would be okay with a white actor playing uh, the portrayal. The problem with the makeup, and you know, is the history of uh, blackface was mocking. No, I understand um, that, but but black, Eddie Murphy, Eddie Murphy so, so showed that know. he could be made up. He could be made up to make him look absolutely like a white American no, instead not, of the black not, American that he is. Analogous. But you would be okay. Not Why not? But that's a problem. It's not analogous because there was a history of mockery of black people by the use of blackface. A person who's transgender and is born into the wrong side, not mocking. That's what he was. He is. He's essentially a person who was born. Is into mockery the wrong allowed? Side. Is mockery allowed in media? Uh, I mean, under the First Amendment. Well, I don't hold know on. Almost every like. parody, almost every parody is made is is a kind of. If you've watched the original Blazing Saddles, that whole movie was a wall-to-wall -wall mockery sure. of various different kinds of stereotypes. It was made by a very liberal guy, uh, you know, by Carl Carl Reiner. And and so it's a movie. I think it was Carl Reiner. And and so he made the movie to do a send up of all these stereotypes about the Old West, about cowboys and Indians and race and the whole nine yards. The whole movie was mockery. Is that allowed? Yeah, you can make mockery. I mean, under the First Amendment. And yeah, generally, I agree with you, but there was a history of very severe mockery, not just general mockery. Well, very of severe mockery. Do you suppose that when we get past Donald Trump's next term in office as president, which will be five years from now, that there will be plenty of movies that will mock Donald Trump? Do you think that Alec Baldwin, for uh, until he Trump went off and, and killed somebody, uh, that he, he mocked Donald Trump yeah, on a regular yeah. basis? You're not mocking a whole group of people when you mock Donald Trump. African Americans. Well, then Americans, I'm asking you then, if, 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 if your goal is not 
want to mock. If you're going, don't get stuck on the one point, Jerry. I'm trying to find out if you're okay with a biological boy pretending to be a girl, making himself up to look like a. Hold on. Let me finish the question. Let me finish the question. If you're okay with a biological boy, not mocking, pretending to be a girl, making himself look female, and portraying a role, why would you be against somebody who's a black actor portraying a white actor, or vice versa? One, I don't, one, I don't agree that um, if a transgender person is pretending, so they're not pretending. Are you talking about the actor, like pretending in terms of the portrayal of the role? I mean, in that sense, yeah, they're pretending, but you don't have the history. Well, every actor is pretending. Uh, uh, Jerry, isn't every single actor pretending to be something they're not? Or is Keanu Reeves really a stone-cold killer? No, but I'm not... I didn't against, think so. Should we only allow the Keanu Reeves character in the John Wick movies to be portrayed by a real-life serial killer? I mean, that would be an interesting standard. I'm not sure you'd have very good chance of that, because most of the Stone Cold killers are at least dead or locked up somewhere. Back in a moment, Jerry. Thanks for the call. you got the Lars Larson Show. You're listening to the best of the Lars Larson Show. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. You're listening to the best of the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. And after too long an absence, our friend Peter Roth joins me, Newsweek contributing editor and the guy who can answer the question, with America maybe headed toward a recession in 2024, but we have a presidential election on the way, uh, is Joe Biden going to do anything uh, to try to persuade the Congress? Maybe we should keep those Trump tax cuts from 2017. I think they're they're good law, and I think they ought to stay in place. The question is, will the Congress agree with that? Peter, welcome back. Hello, Lars. Well, the tax cuts will expire in 2025 because of the odd way that they plan all this out in Washington. They weren't able to make them permanent. They were able to enact them for a, for a short window. But some of the benefits of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, like the um, automatic uh, uh, full expensing of business expenditures and the research and development credits are already starting to expire 
And right now, Congress is trying to decide whether or not they're going to renew them out through 2025 or, in fact, make them permanent. And they should because they're good for economic growth. And what's good for economic growth is good for you and me and everyone who's listening. Yep. I mean, Peter, for example, that the automatic or the full expensing, uh, I know it's getting into tax stuff, and I'm not a tax expert. But I tell people on my little scale, if I said, I want to add one more producer, but we're going to need computers, we're going to need space, we're going to need all this stuff, and I have to spend the money, but then I have to spend three to five years getting that written off on my taxes but if I could write it all off this year, that would make a big difference. Think about the company that's in that spot. You know, the full expensing of, of tax uh, business expenses would allow a company to say, we can afford to do it because this year we had a good year. We don't know what the years ahead are going to be, but this year was a good year. We can afford to, you know, replace some equipment, to buy some new equipment, to bring on some more employees. And instead, they want to let it go. It it doesn't make any sense to take that stuff and, out, and, does it? And there's a, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of the economy now runs on information. And the machines that process information and the programs that process information are expensive, and they're being rapidly rapidly replaced, rapidly upgraded. And so be able to make those investments and write them off immediately. But if you eliminate the immediate expansion, expensing, that's what sometimes happens. You know, we, we've already replaced the system, but we're still drawing down the, the tax benefit rather than doing it immediately. That's the kind of stuff that's necessary for small businesses to become medium-sized businesses and medium-sized businesses to become big businesses. Well, that other, means more jobs. The other thing is, Peter, I've always thought about this. You have a really big knock-your-socks-off kind of uh, profitable year. So you say, we're going to do this. And then they say, oh, well, but, boss, we're going to have to write that off, say, a computer or a vehicle or whatever, three to five years. And you say, then next year, when we have a really bad year, and we don't actually make a profit, or we have a much lower profit, and you say, but boss, we have the write-off from last year, and you say, yeah, we have the write-off during a year when we didn't make a, a big profit. What good does that do us? Exactly. As I was growing up, my father used to remind me that before you could deduct it, you have to make it. <laughs> and if you're not making money, the, de the deduction is of no value. Right. Uh, gee, you know, it, it took a little while, but finally that started to make sense to me. And, you know, fortunately, I'm talking to some guys on Capitol Hill this morning, and there seems to be some agreement between the Democrats and the Republicans on Capitol Hill that they have to do this. And I hope they get it done quickly. I hope they get it done before the end of the year so that this doesn't become a negotiating point later on when the continuing resolutions run out and they have to they have to come up with a year-long CR or a budget or whatever they're going to do to fund the government. They shouldn't be playing politics with economic incentives. No, and, and Peter, the other piece of this that really seems bizarre, if, if dad comes home to a family and says, hey, family, we're going to save money because we're going to do things this way, whatever the this way is, and the family says, oh, that sounds like a great idea, we'll save some money. And then dad says, but we're only doing it for 24 months, and after that we're not doing it again. You'd say, if it's a good idea now, if it was a good idea in 2017, what has changed that doesn't make the tax cuts a good idea for you know uh, five years later and and, and six years later? And yeah. and I don't understand you're, you're, that thinking right. by Congress. Part of it is that the Democrats, at least, have a view of the economy as static that it's always going to be roughly the same size, and if you earn, then I lose. That somebody is 
is losing because somebody else is winning. Yep. What we understand as good free marketeers is that as long as the economy is getting bigger, there's more money to divide up. And, you know, if, if, if you want to do stuff that's, that's socialist in nature, that's European in nature, you know, I, I may not like it, but let's pay for it. How do we pay for it? By growing the economy. So this, this, you know, income inequality and all the rest of that nonsense is all, is all based on this idea that the economy is static. Well, you look at the, you know, look at the Dow. Look where it is now versus where it was when, you know, Ronald Reagan was elected president in 1980. It's tripled, quadrupled, you know, in value. The economy is much, much bigger than it was when Reagan came into office. Peter, I think of it as pie. I don't get to enjoy pie as much because I'm a type 2 diabetic, but I don't want the same size pie with everybody fighting over how to slice it up thinly. Uh, I want the pie to get bigger so that everybody right. gets a bigger piece of pie. And and you're right. The Democrats don't seem to be capable of understanding that concept. That's Peter Roth, who's a Newsweek contributing editor. Peter, thanks a lot for all the things you do for us. Back in just a moment. You're listening to the best of the Lars Larson Show. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. This is the Lars Larson Show. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. Honestly provocative talk with Lars Larson. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. Broadcasting across the Pacific Northwest and covering Oregon, Washington, and Idaho on the Radio Northwest Network. Live now. Then we're going to kick the Biden crime family out of the White House. Here's your host. Almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette, and my cat. Lars Larson. You're listening to the best of the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. Glad to get to your phone calls and emails, and we've got a slew of things to talk about. Donald Trump stands to win the presidency less than a year from now, so the Democrats are so desperate, they've been trying to just keep him off the ballot. And guess what? They're failing at that as well. I want to get into that in just a moment. But first, welcome to the program. Glad to have you on board. And if you want to join the best conversation and talk journalism, it's always here every day at 866-HEY-LARS. And if you happen to be a naysayer, you disagree with my point of view, you're not only welcome, you're more than welcome. We're going to put you right to the head of the line at 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com and vote in our Twitter poll. 
We put it up both on Twitter or X, if you prefer, and on my website at LarsLarson.com. And today's question might just challenge you. Should the beating death of a white teenager at the hands of black teenagers not bring some kind of national outrage? You probably heard about the story. We mentioned it. It happened on the 8th of November, about a week ago. Jonathan Lewis, 17, died after he was swarmed by more than 10 of his classmates, and they attacked him. Apparently, the, the whole dispute had to do with him defending a younger, smaller child, but also had to do something with a disagreement over somebody's headphones, allegedly stolen headphones. So now the police in Las Vegas have arrested eight of the teenagers who are accused of beating a classmate to death earlier this month in a fight over stolen headphones. Well, my friend and fellow talker, the guy who's behind KWAM, our affiliate Memphis, Tennessee, Todd Starn, says... If 10 white people beat a black teenager to death, the entire nation would burn. Biden would declare a national emergency. Congress would have convened emergency hearings. The professional race agitators, and you know who they are, Al Sharpton and the like, would be marching in the streets. And the news media, they would have been anchoring their shows from Las Vegas. But that's not what's happening. What's happening is, oh, yeah, well, a kid was beaten to death. Some other kids are accused of it. Who cares what color or race the perpetrators or the victims are? How is it we have a double standard like that? Because Todd's right. If 10 white people beat a black teenager to death, this country would be on fire right now. But a white teenager gets beaten to death by a predominantly black crowd of suspects who have now been accused, other teenagers now accused of that beating death. And it's a big ho-hum from the legacy media. Anyway, you can find today's Twitter poll at Lars Larson Show on Twitter, LarsLarson.com. On our website, it's brought to you by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. AMAC has the conservative values I believe in. I join. You should, too. Just go to AMAC.us or call 888-262-2006. AMAC's better. Better for you and better for America. Now, let me go right to a naysayer. I love starting with a naysayer. Dale. Dale, welcome to the program. What's on your mind today? Hey, thanks, Lars. Uh, so I don't understand the, how all the, the history of the DACA, the semi-illegal aliens, are they paying in, when they get a job, are they paying into the taxes? Sometimes. For the draft Some, sometimes they are. Sometimes they work under the table. There's no definitive answer to that. But what what is important is if they're not in America legally, they are not legally allowed to work a job. Period. So they're not paying into Social Security. Well, they may be. They may be. They may not be. But that's not the point. And I'll tell you why. I know people have said, "Well, this is the bailout for Social Security we've all been waiting for. We're going to have millions that's, of people come okay, in and pay into Social Security and then never collect a dime." That is not the way it's going to work because from past experience with the past amnesty of 1986, they make they make it legal, say, okay, we're going to give amnesty. At the time, the promise was, I think, 1.2 million people, and it ended up being multiple millions of illegal aliens who got amnesty. And then they had something called totalization because all that, all that will happen, it won't happen today, but if you were to legalize the status of millions of illegals that say Joe Biden is allowed in, at some point, probably 5, 10, 20 years from now, they're going to say, hey, I've been paying into this for the last 10, 20 years. I have a right to collect. And the courts, being liberal as they usually are, will say, you're right. 
You shouldn't have paid into something that you can't collect from. So all you get is additional people who are going to end up collecting from the system as well. That's a loser proposition, Dale. Why can't we get them right now? And get say, what right now? You can have citizenship, and you're going to be on the book, just like every other real Because American. then that means you've just and, added and some more contributors. have to register for the draft. Okay, they do. Actually, the law already says, whether you're here legally or not, if you're a male between 19 and 26 years of age, you have to register for the draft. And the only, da you know, if you don't do it, you've broken the law, and you may be ineligible for certain federal jobs and even federal loans for school. But other than that, there's no enforcement mechanism. But it's already the law they have to register for the draft. But that's not a big deal. Fill out a piece of paper, fine, you're registered. That doesn't, how does that help America? Well, I believe that when you look at your paycheck and you see all this tax money drawn out, yep, you should be able to vote on that. No, I don't believe so. Dale, I'd be willing to bet if you own a house in a different state and they have property taxes there and there's a vote on property taxes and you own a, a house somewhere else other than where you live and where you're a resident, do you get to vote on that? Of course. I live there. No, I said if you own a, say you own a vacation house in some other state than where you live right now, do you get to vote on oh. local measures like city council, county commission, or on property no, taxes? No, I only get to vote where I live. That's I right. That. Now, if, if you, if you are in America making money, there are plenty of foreign nationals who are here legally. They're here on work visas. They're here on a green card visa. But if you're not a citizen, you don't get to vote. If you're not a citizen, you don't get to run for office. You want to give that away? I guess not. Dale, thanks for the call. Let's go to uh, Alabama and Mike. Hey, Mike, welcome to the Lars Larson Show on a Wednesday. What's on your mind? Hey, Lars. Um, let me, as far as the Social Security, I read on the Social Security website that is involving collecting Social Security in other countries. You can collect Social Security even if you're not an American citizen. If you work in this country, I mean, if I you work in this country legally, no, it didn't say anything about legally. It just uh, that's not. I can tell you, there's a famous Supreme Court case where a man was kicked out of the United States. It turns out he'd been, I think, he was either allied with the Italians or the Nazis during World War II, and he took his case all the way to the Supreme Court and said, "I paid in for 20 years, and I worked in. I think he worked in an automobile plant in Michigan." And uh, he took his case to the Supreme Court and said, I paid into this. I, I'm entitled to collect back. And they said, no, you got kicked out because of the things you did during World War II. And you, you have no absolute right to collect Social Security. I can go back and look up that Supreme Court case if you like. But no, the fact is, if you're not paying into it legally, you can't collect it. If you, if you don't have a Social Security number, and illegal aliens do not, how in the world could you collect from a system that you paid into if you weren't part of the system to begin with? Back in just a moment. You're listening to the best of the Lars Larson Show. I'm on 
the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you, your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. Lots of folks worry about their firearms, but Lars doesn't have to worry about Biden taking his guns. He stores them upstairs. This is the Lars Larson Show. Big Iron on his head. You're listening to the best of the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I consider it a real honor to welcome to the program Ryan Walters, since he is now the subject of calls for his resignation. Uh, his critics are saying, why, you have not fulfilled your constitutional duties and you have flagrant political posturing. You're a disgrace to your office. Considering the source, Superintendent Walters, I, I think you should wear it as a, bi- a badge of honor that this bunch wants your resignation. Oh, absolutely, Lars. That's exactly how I view it. You know, when you have a radical left-wing atheist group from Wisconsin targeting you and saying you should resign because you're not stopping kids who are voluntarily praying in a school from doing that. It's outrageous, isn't it, Lars? Isn't it amazing the work we've seen on faith in our schools? I mean, now they're saying, so this was a, so your listeners know the context. We had a school in Oklahoma. Kids were coming on. They do intercoms. They they do announcements. They do all these things. And a lot of the kids would do a Bible verse or they would say a prayer. This out-of-state group came in and told them to stop. Again, nobody's making the kids do it. The kids just wanted to do it. So I came out and said, absolutely, you do not need to stop, and we will not allow them to bully you. So once you go out to California, you know, you radical atheist group, and, hey, they'll, they'll welcome you with open <laughs> arms. Well, now they want me to resign. Well, let me tell you something. That, that, that's obviously not going to happen. And, again, I do wear it as a badge, a badge of honor here. I mean, just so people understand what's happening, it, it, and is it Prague Elementary School? Is that the way they say it? Prague. At Prague Elementary School, uh, Freedom From Religion Foundation is saying that because kids on their own are saying a Bible verse along with the school announcements, I did that when I was in school as well, you get to go down and talk over a mic and tell everybody what the lunch menu is and all the other things that they put in the morning announcements, and the kids are doing it on their own, they're actually asking you as a representative of government to order little citizens named you know children but little citizens all the same not to engage in religious speech they don't see the constitutional problem with that no they don't and it really they show their hand really clear with this don't they they want there to absolutely be no exercise of any type of faith unless it's atheism and i keep saying atheism you guys it is a religion to the left i mean it honestly it's, it's a cult they want everybody, they're no acknowledgement of God, they erase God from our history, they're challenging little boys and little girls, taking away their First Amendment rights. Why? Because, heaven forbid, 
someone actually mention God or have a free expression of their religious beliefs in a school. And it shows you, ultimately, that's what they want. They want state-sponsored atheism. By running God out, they are targeting teachers, and now they're targeting kids. We're just not going to stand for it here in Oklahoma. Well, i got to tell you something, Ryan. You, you reminded me of a friend of mine uh, by the name of Lionel. But I remember one, one of the lines that stuck in my head was, if, if not believing in God is a religion, then not collecting stamps must be a hobby. But these are groups that don't just say, we're happy not to believe in God. It seems to get under their skin in a way that I usually don't see truly religious people, what, no matter what they believe in, Christianity, Judaism, or, or Islam. Uh, you, you know, the fact that somebody doesn't believe, as Christians, we'd say, well, that's sad. You know, I wish they did believe, and I, I would persuade them if they'd let me. But other than that, it doesn't get under your skin. But atheists seem to hate the idea that anybody believes in God. That's exactly right. And, and by the way, look at what it's done to our society. Since the 1960s, left-wing Supreme Court started targeting Christians and driving any kind of faith out of our schools. What have we seen? We have seen moral decay in our society. We have seen the um, drug use go up. We've seen STDs go up. We've seen children out of wedlock. Because what we have done is we have allowed the left to turn our schools into anti-Christian, anti-faith institutions that our kids go through school and are told they can never mention God. Any expression of it is just, and notice the reaction. I mean, if you tell a little kid and you act like it's the worst thing they've ever done to say a Bible verse on their own volition, that kid is being sent these messages from people they look up to that, I, I guess this is bad. I guess we shouldn't do this. The country was built on Judeo-Christian values, and we were built with the free expression of our religious beliefs, and we have got to get back that in our schools. i gotta, I, I got to ask you something. I, I don't know if it would aid your cause, not legally, I mean, because they're not taking legal action demanding your resignation. I take it. They're just saying, we demand your resignation. Has the Freedom From Religion Foundation ever come out and demanded the cessation of Islam in public, uh, public schools? Have they ever done that? Do you know? Uh, not as far as I know of. But right now, all I've seen is they're targeting towards these Christian groups is what I've seen. Yeah, so in other words, they're not an anti-religion group. They're an anti-Christian group because I don't know what happens in the state of Oklahoma. Maybe you can tell me. But over the years, I've objected when I see schools that say, you know, the Bible isn't welcome, crosses aren't welcome, religious uh, practice is not welcome. They even want to say a national holiday, the only religious national holiday uh, in, of the federal government, which is Christmas, which is specifically a Christian belief. It's not It's not Islam. It's not Judaism uh, that, that they, they then say, but we can teach the five pillars of Islam to our kids uh, and to your kids as well. And I've had so many parents tell me, my kid came home with a, an exercise to learn the five pillars of Islam. And I say, well, if they're going to teach the five pillars of Islam, they ought to be teaching the Ten Commandments as well. You know, in other words, everybody in or nobody in, one or the other, and a lot of, but probably not in Oklahoma. I just don't know. And I'm curious whether the Freedom From Religion Foundation has ever gone after, say, a Jewish group or a Muslim group. Well, you know, that's a good question. You know, what we've continued to see is hey, they've got no problem with the with the pushing of atheism, of saying they don't believe there is a God. They they believe that evolution took place. They believe that the creation uh, didn't happen. There was a Big Bang Theory. And they go through, and hey, look, they got no problem with those being being talked about and those being pushed not as theory but as reality. But but heaven forbid, yeah, you have a, a, a competing point of view and you have someone from the Christian faith actually express their religious beliefs. And that's where ultimately, hey, 
we're going to say Merry Christmas in Oklahoma. We're not going to allow them to take the holiday season away from our kids. We're not going to allow them to take Christianity. Well, I'll tell you what I want to do. I'm going to ask my executive producer, uh, because we both make phone calls and send emails, and we ask liberal groups on all the time. And I would think that atheists or anything, if they're not a liberal group, I don't know what they are. But I'll ask the foundation if they're willing to come on, because I'd love to have them admit we want the superintendent to silence children who've chosen to say Bible verses. Well, you... You would be, and I would have to disagree with you, Ryan, and no, most of the time I don't disagree with you, but if you said, we're going to specifically allow kids to talk about the lunch menu or, or the Friday night dance, we can talk about anything you want as long as you don't mention religion, I would tell you, Ryan, and I know you're not going to do this, but I would say you're breaking the First Amendment to the Constitution because you're telling citizens they can talk about everything they want as long right. as it's not religion. Yep. That is a that is a first class First Amendment violation. That's right. And, and, you know, and I know you're on over the nation tonight. and That's the reality. Look at what they're doing in a red state. They're doing it all across the country. They're doing it in red states. They're doing it in blue states. They're doing it in purple states. If if they can't beat you with policies through a state capitol through the legislature, they are getting attorney groups to file these lawsuits to threaten people and take away your religious liberties that way. So if they can't win in court, they're just going to come after you and threaten you with lawsuits. And what happens most of the time? The schools just back down because they don't want to go to court over these type of things. We have got to fight back, though. We can't be scared of lawsuits. We can't be scared of these left-wing activists. All across the country, we have to stand up for the country while we still got it. Absolutely right. That's Ryan Walters. He is the superintendent of schools for the great state of Oklahoma. You're listening to the best of the Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. The 40th president of the United States always knew where to put the blame. You have blamed mistakes of the past, and you blame the Congress. Does any of the blame belong to you? Yes, because for many years I was a Democrat. This is the Lars Larson Show. You're listening to the best of the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show on this Monday. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I have to tell you, I have been forced to be in a, a labor union before. I didn't like it. I didn't stay very long. And in at least one case, I succeeded in helping to decertify that bargaining unit. I'm not a big fan of unions. On the other hand, I always tell people under the Constitution and under federal and state laws, I think you should be able to join whatever silly union you want to be a member of and give them a thousand or two thousand dollars of your money if you really want to do something foolish like that. But I follow the you know, the, the antics of unions. And Aaron Witt is the guy I know from the Freedom Foundation, the CEO, who knows about the latest craziness that's going on, in this case, in Miami-Dade County, Florida. Aaron, welcome back to the program. Laws, thanks for having me back on. I'm glad to do it. So Florida's largest teachers union may face decertification under a state law that was passed in May because of their illegal and harassing tactics. Would you mind describing that for my audience? Yeah, not only are they the largest teachers union, not only are they the largest district in Florida, it's also the third largest school district in America. So what's happened in Florida is that we passed a law last session uh, that made it so if membership falls below 60%, then uh, there'll be a decertification vote to get rid of the union. So there's been a, uh, another association set up in Miami-Dade. Uh, we're working with teachers to provide a union alternative to get out the national union and put in a local association ran by teachers that 
would do nothing except for uh, represent them in labor disputes and represent them in contract uh, negotiations. They wouldn't do all this uh, woke political stuff. Now, of course, the teachers' unions aren't happy about it. They're harassing teachers to try and get them to re-sign back up, and we've just filed two ULPs down there, unfair labor practice complaints uh, in Florida, uh, to stop this practice from the uh, from the UTD, the United Teachers of Dade. You know, because, because Aaron, I, I hope people realize <clears throat> the massive numbers. So give me an example. Do you know how many teachers they represent in Miami-Dade, Florida? How many, how many are members? It's about 33,000. 33,000. They represent 33,000. Membership is less than half of that. Okay, so 33,000 teachers times about 1,000 bucks a year in dues is $33 million. Now, it does not cost $33 million to represent those teachers, does it? No, and that's why we've created this local association, because if these teachers still want a union, and they may very well, but if they still want one, then our dues are going to be 40 or $50 a month, certainly less than half the price of the unions, and all they're going to do is contract disputes, and labor and, uh, and, and sorry, uh, labor contracts. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, so they'll do just the minimum. They just won't collect all that excess cash. Because I've, I've pointed this out to people. If you take a, a large labor union and they're pulling in $33 million, let's say they used even half of it on bargaining and resolving disputes and that sort of thing. So $16.5 million goes to actually representing the teachers in the union, and the rest of it is political cash which they can spread around almost exclusively to Democrats, whether their members are Democrats or not. And and you say, they're, they're bringing in that much money? And I've always wondered out loud to people, why in the world would you hand over your you know money knowing that you're going to both be represented, but then they're going to contribute your money to people you don't even like the politics of? That makes no sense. Yeah, it's completely absurd. We did a study a couple years ago on the National Education Association who get some of these dues from these local teachers, and they spend just 7.5% of their budget on representational activity. They spend over 50% on politics, on lobbying, and gifts to uh, liberal nonprofits. When you talk about teachers' unions' dollars, I mean, their primary goal is a political one. It's not to represent their members. In fact, that's just 7.5% of their budget. No, and, and the end result is you're, you're forcing speech uh, because, well, Florida is a right-to-work state, isn't it? You don't have to belong right. to the union. Am I right? So, That's so, right. But in, in, right, in non-right-to-work states, which I think is about half the states, if you come to work at a school, they'll say, you have to join the union. And you say, what if I disagree with the union, don't want to join? They say, you have to join. It's in the contract. So you're forced to give money to a political organization that they spend in things that are antithetical to your own beliefs. I don't know why any American would put up with that. I mean, even if it worked out to my side, if you said, well, you got to join the teachers union, we're going to give all our money to the NRA or to Republicans, I'd say I still shouldn't be forced to make political contributions like I'm in some kind of, you know, the communist country, like the old uh, old Soviet Union, where if you weren't a member of the party, you weren't going to be able to do anything effective. Here, it's as, you know, as though they say, well, if you're not a member of the labor union, then uh, then you can't be, you know, you can't be in this workforce. That is forced political speech from my point of view. Well, they, yeah, that's absolutely right, Lars. And uh, let me just correct you on one thing. Because, okay, please. Uh, you mentioned right, right, right to work states. In the public sector, it's irrelevant nowadays because... Uh, oh, because of Janice. Janice. You're right. 
That's right. So government employees are no longer forced to join a union. So teachers now, we've seen the, the largest decline in American history of public employees leaving their unions in the last five years. We've seen over 700,000 public employees leave four unions in America, the, big, the largest four unions. So what we're starting to see now is that teachers and other public employees are fed up of the union politics, and they're taking back that money and taking it out of the union's political uh, liberal political coffers. Well, thank you for that correction, because I've actually talked to Mark Janice. He's a great guy. He's actually a liberal Democrat. But he said, nobody should be telling me that I have to be a member of a union. And he won his Supreme Court case, but only for public, for government employees. For the rest of the private sector, you can be forced uh, to be in a union if you're not in a right-to-work state. So, I mean, I would think this would be hugely attractive. And if the labor unions, you know, were were to say, Let's respond to what the marketplace is telling us. People don't want to be a member of our group because of what our group does. Then you change. I mean, that's what any sensible private operation, whether it's a grocery store or a gas station or a fast food outlet, they look at the marketplace and say, what are our customers like? Well, they don't like what you're doing. Well, then we better change or we're going to go out of business. Uh, are the labor unions really going to put themselves out of business by insisting on pol on politics? They're not business people, though, Lars. I mean, I expected this. After Janice, you know, we started running this massive campaign to educate all these public employees and tell them what their unions were doing. And maybe I was naive, but I actually thought that the unions would start to provide benefits to these people. I thought that they'd actually uh, start to convince them to be a part of the union. Instead, what we've seen the past few years is the teachers' unions in particular, they've become more radical politically uh, they started advocating for critical race theory and sex ed and, you know, all that other woke stuff that um, I, I, I never would have thought we'd see in uh, in America. But they've, they've gone and they've, they're starting advocating for it uh, so publicly now. And that is a large driver of uh, union membership decline. So I, I think they are going to work themselves out of business. I don't know. Uh, I'm, I, I'm obviously trying to help as many public employees as we can to tell them this information. Uh, but, yeah, I don't see them turning it around anytime soon. They just continue to go further and further to the left. Well, and imagine this, the, the circumstances that you outlined in the first complaint you filed. So the vice president principal at the school demands that the teacher in question, a young lady apparently, show up at the teacher's lounge. So she shows up thinking the boss says, i got to be here, I'm here. And an, a union organizer is there to harangue. Uh, the, the teacher into rejoining the union she'd only left a few months before. That's the kind of harassing activity they're doing? So, yeah, what we've seen in the, uh, in UTD in Miami, Florida area, um, is we've started to, we started running these opt-out campaigns to tell these people to leave. And because union membership started going below 60 and below 50%, uh, the unions needed to sign people up to avoid this decertification vote that we're working on. Unbelievable. That's Aaron Witt. He's the CEO of the Freedom Foundation. And if anybody wants to defend union tactics like that, I'd be glad to take the naysayer call. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. You're listening to the best of The Lars Larson Show. With everything, I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? 
Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. Nixon was wrong about a lot of things, but he's right about this. People have got to know whether or not their presidents are crook. What say you, Joe Biden? This is the Lars Larson Show. You're listening to the best of the Lars Larson Show. 911. Hi, um, this is Mayor DCO. I I know that this isn't an emergency call, but I need to uh, to talk to somebody. I've, I've emailed the chief, but um, there's some far right wing petitioners at Walmart. And they don't, they're not leaving after Walmart has asked them repeatedly to do so. That is the mayor of the city of Yakima. And one small town mayor tried to wage her own personal war on conservatives. In other words, she wanted the police to remove these conservatives, not because they were rioting or committing arson or looting a store, but because they were engaged in a time-honored tradition in American politics, gathering signatures on a petition. It's kind of an amazing story. Happened earlier this month, but we have the 911 call, courtesy of our friends of the post-millennial and my colleague Ari Hoffman, who managed to come up with this audio. Let me get into that in just a moment. But first, welcome to the Lars Larson Show, and welcome to the Radio Northwest Network, proudly serving the Pacific Northwest states, Oregon, Washington, and Idaho, for the past... 24 years almost now and glad to take your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. If you happen to be a naysayer, that is, you disagree with my point of view, I'm perfectly glad to have you call the show. We'll put you right to the head of the line at 866-439-5277. You can vote in our Twitter poll. And boy, that's an amazing one. All three of the things that I just ended up leading off with today have to do with police. So let me ask you this question, and I'm not, I'm not exaggerating any of this. Will gunless guards armed with kindness, that's the way they describe themselves, gunless guards armed with kindness and an entire four hours of training, will they make the schools safe enough for your kids? Now, if I had kids in public school, I used to, they're adults now. But when I had kids in public school, if you told me, we're going to have a guard, really, does he, he or she have a gun? Uh, no, they don't have a gun. Do they have pepper spray? No. Do they have stun guns? No, they don't have that. Do they have a lot of training? Well, they've been trained for four whole hours in the job they're going to do, and they're armed with kindness. Would that be enough to satisfy me about security concerns at local schools? You're not going to believe it, but a Northwest school district is saying, Gunless guards armed with kindness and four whole hours of training are going to make the schools safe enough for your kids. I think that's crazy. You can vote in the Twitter poll if you care to at Lars Larson Show and at LarsLarson.com. Brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest 
biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at ultimatetruckservice.com. But let me go back to Yakima. So you've got this mayor, uh, Janice DCO, who is the mayor of Yakima. Now, that's not a small town. It's almost 100,000 population. But she heard from one of her constituents who said, why there are right-wing conservatives, actually she called them far-right-wing uh, petitioners, but Janet Decio, who we are going to invite on the show, I don't hold my breath that she's going to come on, but she called 911 to report that one of her constituents said there were far-right far petitioners at Walmart gathering signatures. Why, call the police right away. Take a listen to the way she described the Walmart signature gatherers or protesters. Um, we did have a call of that earlier. Who is this? This is Mayor Dicio. Okay. Um, let me let you talk to my supervisor, but I do know that the officers have let them know that they would have to have a court order to have them removed. It's so let you talk to on private property? Okay. Yeah, I don't know the legalities of that, but let me, um... Get you to my supervisor. Get you to my supervisor. And by the way, did it sound like the 911 dispatcher was really impressed that it was Mayor DCO on the phone? Who are you? What do you want? Well, I want the police to come and remove people from private property that, by the way, Mayor DCO does not own. She's calling, demanding that the police come out and remove one group of private citizens from property owned by a private company called Walmart. So the supervisor got on the line. Listen to what happened then. Hi, um, this is Mayor Decio, and um, I have had some constituents call me to tell me about some right-wing petitioners over at Walmart, and that Walmart does not want them on their property, and the police have come out and told them that they can't do anything about it. And I'm wondering, how, how can that be? If petitioners were on my yard, the police could take them out. Could take them out. I don't know what Mayor DCO had in mind. Maybe she was going to come out and shoot them, hit them with beanbag rounds, maybe stun gun them, take them into custody. I mean, after all, they're far-right conservatives. They're gathering signatures on a petition, a time-honored tradition. And frankly, in Oregon and Washington, a right protected under law to guarantee. And in Washington State, they have a specific law. It says, yeah, you can remove people if the private property owner wants to complain. And Walmart had apparently called. But Walmart was told, you want those people gone? They have a right to gather signatures on private property that's open to the public, and that's a Walmart parking lot. But you're going to have to go to, ju to a judge and get a court order. And the mayor sounds like a full-blown liberal. The liberals are waging war on American democracy and on representative government and especially on far-right protesters. My credit to my friend Ari Hoffman for coming up with that story at the Postmillennial. On social media, you can check me out on Twitter. We are, of course, on Getter as well. We're on Truth as well. And you can find my Instagram feed, and you can always tell Alexa to play the Lars Larson Show. We'll get to your phone calls and emails coming up. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. Honestly provocative talk for America. You're listening to the best of The Lars Larson Show. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. 
You could sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com.